0: It's the Healthy Woman Show on WJR with Ann Thomas and Dr. Carol Kowalczyk presented by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health.
1: Welcome to WJR's Healthy Woman Show brought to you by the Michigan Center
2: for Fertility and Women's Health.
1: I'm Ann Thomas and Dr. Carol on tonight's show.
2: We're going to honor two of our favorite things, our men in honor of Movember and give tips about keeping our guys healthy and Thanksgiving, the parade, the turkey, I can't wait.
1: An interesting and informative show coming up next. WJR's Healthy Woman Show, brought to you by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. I'm Ann Thomas. I am here with my co-host, Dr. Carol Kowalczyk. And Dr. Carol, in this first segment of the show, we are going to talk about male fertility with Dr. Jim Dupree, a Michigan medicine urologist, and as you say,
3: a male fertility expert extraordinaire.
2: Mm-hmm. To the
3: show, doctor. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm great. Thank you both so much for having me back. It's a pleasure to see you again and talk with you.
2: Well, here's why we have you and our next guest is because I think I remember something called Movember, where, you know, we are always asked as women to, you know, take care of ourselves and the guys, you know, we don't know what's going on with them, but we're going to ask your associate Dr. Stork next segment. With regard to fertility, we are always talking about how the women and the eggs and and the age of the eggs and, you know, if you want a family. So I thought this segment would be really cool to have you on to get a male perspective. Uh, But first of all, what got you interested in male fertility in the first place?
3: Sure. I was really, in, again, thank you for having me on. I was really inspired by having a job where I got to help people build their families. And people can build their families lots of different ways. Um, and when I was in medical school, I was really attracted to the field of urology. It's a surgical specialty. I like trying to fix things. I like using my hands. Um, and I realized I could be a surgeon as a urologist, um, but also a surgeon that specializes in um. Uh, that specializes in helping people build their families. So as a urologist with interest and expertise in male infertility, you know I am the surgeon, um, the doctor that really helps with the male reproductive tract. And you know listen, my dad had prostate cancer. I have all the respect in the world for doctors that help treat cancer, but I think you know short of treating cancer, maybe even equal to treating cancer, I think helping people build their families is a pretty great way to spend your life. Um, and so that's why I chose urology and why I chose in particular male infertility.
2: I love your passion. I really do. And when, when patients see you, they feel so comforted by all of the wealth of information that you can provide. And so, you know, preventatively, what can guys do to optimize their fertility? If they're not ready to have kids yet, they just got married and they're thinking two, three years down the road, what can they do
3: to, to prep? Well, thanks, Dr. Carroll, that's a great question. What I always tell men is what's good for your body is gonna be good for your sperm. And so the advice that I give is not groundbreaking, it's probably stuff that folks have heard before, um, but it's some of the basics, if you will. Um, I'm not saying that these are easy things, but I'm saying they're important things that you've likely heard before. So I do tell men that um, they really, uh, probably one of the most important things they can do is, is not smoke, so not smoke tobacco, Um, and actually marijuana. Yes, it's legal in the state of Michigan, and so is tobacco, uh, but marijuana has also been found to be bad for sperm. And so I tell men to cut out tobacco and cut out marijuana, and that's marijuana in all forms, whether it's smoked or uh, consumed as an edible or a vape. THC, the active ingredient, is actually what's been shown to be bad for sperm. I also tell men to take care of the rest of their bodies. So maintain a healthy body weight, uh, maintain healthy exercise and sleep patterns, and to eat a healthy diet. Um, And so I don't think guys need to get overly prescriptive with their diets, but eating plenty of, um, leafy green fruits and vegetables, uh, lean meats, avoiding processed meats, avoiding saturated fats, sugar, uh, processed sugar as much as possible. Listen, I still love cookies and cake myself, but just in moderation. Um, and so again, what taking care of your body is also going to take care of your sperm.
2: Awesome. And what's the most common male
3: fertility problem you're seeing these days? So probably low sperm count is the most problem, common problem that we are seeing. We know that overall about one in eight couples in the United States have trouble getting pregnant. So it's really common. Um, and about half the time, the male partner is contributing to the trouble getting pregnant. And the most common reason is a low sperm count. And guys can have low sperm counts for a lot of different reasons. They can have low sperm counts because of some of the sort of lifestyle or body issues that we talked about earlier. We do know that obesity is a big cause for low sperm counts in men. Men can also get low sperm counts because of hormonal issues like having low testosterone, or they can have um, what we call anatomic issues, which means that something is not quite right about the anatomy of the body. And the most common example here is a varicocele, which is like a varicose vein that people get in their legs, but about 15% of men have them in their scrotums. Um, And varicocele are another common cause of low sperm counts.
2: So when someone's having and the definition of infertility just so we are all aware is the inability to get pregnant if a uh, year of trying if you're under 35 6 months over 35 yesterday if you're over 40 so with men you know I will see them in my office and I will do a workup on them which always includes a semen analysis and if I find a abnormal semen analysis I'll repeat it a few weeks later and then if it's still abnormal many times I will do a urology referral to one of our many male fertility specialists, uh, depending on where the patient lives and, and the type of problem they have. So if my patient goes to see you, Dr. Dupree, what is entailed in the male fertility workup?
3: Yeah, important question and a question lots of guys have. The first thing I'll reassure men is that the male fertility workup is relatively easy and relatively painless. It's normal to be nervous, but we do it all the time and we will take good care of them. So what's involved is typically a semen analysis, which as you've said, you often will have prepared ahead of time. Sometimes we may need a man to provide a second or a third of semen analysis depending. Um, to get specific, because sometimes guys have questions, You know, semen analyses are typically provided um, by masturbating in a private area at home or in one of the private collection rooms that the clinics have into a cup. For men that are uncomfortable or prefer not to masturbate, there are other ways to collect semen, including what we call a collection kit, which is like a condom, but not a condom. Um, And so there are more than one ways um, for guys that might prefer that. Uh, The second thing that's really important is a blood test. Um, This is a blood test to check some reproductive hormones, sometimes some additional blood tests as well. The third thing that's important is a history. It's just talking to me. And I will ask a bunch of questions about their lifestyle and their history and so understanding their past is really important and helps me guide their sort of future treatment options. And then the fourth thing is gonna be a physical exam. And so this is really gentle. Um, typically, you know, again, in a private chaperoned environment, um, it's a gentle examination of the penis, the testicles, and the other parts of the scrotum. We only very rarely need to do rectal or prostate exams. I know guys are often nervous about that. That's typically not part of the workup Uh, except for a couple specific scenarios.
2: Got it. And with this information, you're going to able to help me decide what to do for this couple. So um, highlighting some treatment options that are most common that are for fertility uh, guys.
3: Great. So on the treatment side, there's a spectrum. And I always remind men, as I started at the very beginning of our conversation, that there's lots of ways to build a family. Um, And so there are things that we can do to try and help improve his sperm counts but I often remind men that there are ways to build a family that don't involve his sperm. Um, and so that includes uh, adoption or using donor sperm to inseminate his partner. Um, the treatments that we can offer them to improve his sperm counts or quality will depend on the underlying problem. So if there's a hormone abnormality, there's medications, typically pills, we can prescribe him, try and optimize the hormones and improve the sperm count. If there is an anatomic issue like that varicocele that I mentioned earlier, um, there are um, uh, two different types of uh, procedures or surgeries that we can offer to fix the varicocele to improve the quality or number of sperm. Um, There are also uh, other surgeries that I can offer that can help uh, bypass a blockage if there's a blockage that's causing a low sperm count. And then um, depending on what the sperm count is, there are also really important treatments that I mentioned that actually Dr. Carroll is responsible for leading Things like artificial insemination and IVF that are treatments for the man, um, really treatments for the couple, but involve the man as well. So I lay out that spectrum of options for men, and depending on their underlying problem, also depending on their treatment goals um, and their personal preferences, one of those treatments may be better for them than another.
2: And and that is such great information because you know guys need to know that they're not alone, and fertility is a couple's. Uh, medical diagnosis. So a lot of people do not realize or appreciate that, you know, fertility is a medical condition, just like diabetes and high blood pressure, you'd be having a doctor fix those. And so, you know, it does occur one in eight couples. Um, And I had a surprising statistic that under 10% of fertility couples seek treatment. Uh, And so, you know, we can help in so many ways. Over 90% of the time, we can find a reason for your infertility. And over 90% of the time, if you open your heart to many treatment choices, uh, we have many options to build your family. So um, it's a team approach that includes uh, you as the couple. and, And we have wonderful uh, associates like Dr. Dupree uh, to assist the reproductive endocrinologist to to make the right game plans. So, um, you know, it's, it's just very important that the guys know, don't be afraid. There's a lot we can do. And, you know,
1: Dr. Dupree and Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, it's fascinating to me as the non-medicine person listening to this conversation, how far you have come with regard to fertility over the years. I mean, this should be very encouraging information for a couple struggling.
3: We agree. Completely agree. Yes, there's a lot of ways we can help folks. And uh, it's thanks to a lot of great patients that have volunteered for research in the past, a lot of great scientists and clinicians that have helped lead that research. And yes, we'd like to help people build their families. Thanks for that comment.
1: Dr. Jim, thanks for having me on today. Oh, We my appreciate God. you. Thank you, Dr. Jim Dupree, a Michigan medicine urologist and specialist in male fertility. You are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show. We'll be back after this. You are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show. And Dr. Carol, we continue the conversation about Movember and men's health by checking in with Dr. Brian Stork. He is a Michigan Medicine Urologist. He's also an Assistant Clinical Professor in the Department of Urology at Michigan Medicine, and he's the Public Education Council Chairperson for the Urology Care Foundation. Dr. Brian Stork, I'm not sure how you sleep. This is a very impressive resume.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
4: It's quite a mouthful, but it really just means that I'm here to help you, so... I, I want to educate patients and take good care of patients. That's really the take-home message with that's all of that. Nice so,
2: being... Brian, I just wanted to thank you for being here. And and always my first question is, what got you interested in urology in the first place?
4: Well, Dr. Carroll, that's a great question and a question I get asked very often because, as you can imagine, um, people aren't uh, glorified uh, by being urologists. We don't get all the um, the highlights like the orthopedic doctors. But really some of the reasons i went in is because it's a really nice blend of medicine and surgery it's um, an opportunity to take care of both women and men it uh, is an opportunity to work with really a lot of wonderful colleagues like dr dupree uh back when i trained all my colleagues were men and now a growing number of uh, urologists are women and it's an opportunity to treat patients of all ages and that might be the part i enjoy the most is taking care of pediatric all the way up to um, octogenarians and nanogenarians. So it's a great specialty.
2: Wonderful. And, and let me ask you this. November is Movember in honor of men's health. And I don't know about, you know, you, but my experience is our guys just never want to go to the doctor. If they feel something, they'll blow it off and they'll just try to fix it themselves or they'll wait. My husband, for example, I mean, it's the first time he's seen a primary care doctor and he sees he's, he's the big six. and it's like, dude, what took you so long? So why do you think our guys don't want to go to the doctor?
4: Well, again, that's a very good question. And um, as I've thought about this in the past, you know, it may really go all the way back to childhood. You know, we associate going to the doctor with pain early on when we go to get our shots, uh, when we go to get examined by the cold stethoscope. There's always a lot of anxiety as a child going to the physician. So I think it kind of starts there. But as boys mature into men, there's a sense of. invincibility, if you will. I think it's testosterone-driven invincibility where nothing can break. We're strong. Uh, we're going to be like this forever. And unfortunately, that isn't the case. And as we become more and more vulnerable, I think we become even more hesitant to to reach out for help. Men are kind of conditioned not to reach out for help, not to talk about their problems, but to kind of keep them inward and uh, really events like Movember are great in that they get men talking about health and hopefully in the process will encourage men to visit their primary care doctors and specialists as needed.
2: Got it. And women have routine appointments. You know, as as growing up, I knew I had to get my pap smears. I had to get my mammogram. I had to get my annual. There's nothing like that for guys or should there be? Like, what should our guys be doing routinely?
4: Yeah, so, you know, Men's reproductive health is different, obviously. And for men, there's not a lot to do until puberty. Um, At about that age, things start changing rapidly. And uh, as the testicles grow, it's important for young boys to kind of be familiar with what their anatomy is. And as men uh, continue to get older, to keep an eye on that anatomy. um, Testicular cancer is the uh, most common cancer in young men age 20 to 40. And uh, it's important uh, to know what to look for. It's important to know what your anatomy is and uh, to be aware of symptoms of pain. Pain is not good. Um, Pain should um, motivate you to call a physician. I encourage my patients, you know, you're in the shower once a day and uh, once a month to really just sort of examine yourself, kind of get familiar with your own anatomy and to be aware of any changes and to report those changes if they're significant.
2: I have a patient who found his t- testicular cancer as a teenager through a TikTok. So there was someone who had testicular cancer and went out and told them how to examine their testicles to help other young men find this cancer early. And this gentleman did on TikTok what he was taught to do and found his cancer.
4: You know, it's amazing what social media has done these days. You know, back in my day, it was Lance Armstrong who was really the one who was uh, making the world aware of testicular cancer. But now it's these patient stories that really, um, I think, help people feel more comfortable with doing these kind of things. You know, it's not taboo anymore, if you will. In fact, it's expected, you know, it's expected that you're going to take good care of yourself and, and know when something's wrong.
2: Yeah. And for, for a 20-something to get on TikTok and that felt that it was that important to tell his fellow viewers, I, I commend that young man because he probably saved so many lives. Well, what about, um pro- it's talking about cancers. What about prostate cancer screening and, and th- what is a PSA?
4: Yeah. So PSA is a blood test and it measures a protein that the prostate makes. That protein can be um, picked up in the blood and measured. Um, it's different in every man. Uh, There are age-specific ranges for what this this PSA test or protein should be. Originally, the test was developed to follow men who had prostate cancer, but over time it became used more for screening purposes. There's a lot of controversy around this, but it saved a lot of lives. It requires judgment, and it really requires um, it to be used along with physical examination or the digital rectal examination for, for optimal benefit for the patient.
2: Got it. And and once so when should the screening occur in, in a guy's routine health care?
4: Yeah, so one of the things I think that frustrates me about medicine in general is that there's conflicting guidelines amongst specialties. So the guidelines for the primary care doctors might be different than the guidelines for the specialists or the oncologists. This causes a lot of confusion amongst doctors and a lot more confusion amongst patients. But with respect to our society, we really like to focus on that 55 to 69-year age group. That seems to be the sweet spot, really, for prostate cancer screening. If you have a family history of prostate cancer or if you're African-American, then that moves down a little bit. We may want to start screening you sooner. But that's really a discussion to have with your own provider.
2: Well, you are a wealth of information. Uh, and I love the fact that you're the public education chairperson for your foundation, uh, the Urology Care Foundation. Uh, and did you, you know, might want to take it from here with questions about, about that?
1: Yes, I am interested in this foundation. How does it work and how does it help patients, Dr. Stork?
4: Sure. So the Urology or the American Urologic Association is the association that Dr. Dupree and I and all of the other urologists in the United States belong to. And that association created a foundation for research, for philanthropy, and for public education. And so we have created literally hundreds of patient education products. They're all free. They're all what we call physician vetted, meaning physicians have looked these over and and scrutinized um, the material that we present to the public. It's written at an eighth grade education, so a lot of people can Um, understand it, even if their reading levels aren't high. And we break it up too, we have podcasts, we have videos, we have written material. So we really try to mix it up. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, all the time. We're really trying to tweak the product really for the best benefit of the patients.
1: And how can patients access this foundation to get more information?
4: Yeah, so the website is www. urologyhealth.org. So once
1: once a patient is diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer, how do they decide or how do you help them decide what's the best course of action? Because sometimes I hear that the patient has to have the prostate removed immediately. Then I've heard other stories where they're in a wait and see mode. How is that determined?
4: Well, that's a fantastic question and probably uh, deserves an answer much longer than I can give in this segment. But um, what it really boils down to is the biopsy report. And maybe in certain cases, um, other kinds of staging information, depending on what the biopsy report shows. So the biopsy will usually come back with a Gleason score. The Gleason score is a form of grading. The pathologist looks at the tissue underneath the microscope and they assign it a number or a grade. Generally for the low grade cancers, Gleason 6 cancers, um, active surveillance or following it is a very good option, although there's other options as well with respect to treatment. As that number keeps going up, Gleason 7, 8, 9, and 10, then patients are generally moved more towards treatment as opposed to active surveillance or, or just following the cancer. And there's a wide variety of treatment options that I'm I'm sure you've heard about, ranging from surgery with robots, to radiation therapy, to radioactive seeds, to freezing the prostate, to injections. Um, And it all really depends on the grade of the cancer and the stage of the cancer.
1: It seems like every time you turn around these days, you're hearing about men in that age group that you're talking about, Dr. Stork, between that 55 to 69, 70 age group, an awful lot of men seem to be talking about prostate cancer and having that diagnosis. Um, What do you think might be going on here? And is there anything that men could do to keep themselves from getting this?
4: Well, that's a great question. Um, I think we have gotten better over time at finding prostate cancer. Um, I think the PSA and some other uh, testing that can be done now, non-invasive testing has helped. Um, The prostate biopsy, which has gotten better over time and uh, safer, uh, is a great way of making the diagnosis. And we have new tools as well, such as MRI, uh, which is being used more and more uh, in the United States, either before a prostate biopsy or in uh, patients who have had a prostate biopsy that maybe didn't come back exactly one way or another. With respect to what's causing it, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I know that the Veterans Administration has tied prostate cancer to Agent Orange in certain cases. Um, you know, diets that are really high in fat um, can cause uh, prostate cancer cells to change. So really what we tell people in urology is that whatever is good for your heart is good for your prostate, and good for your reproductive health. And, you know, that includes water, vegetables, all the things that your mom told you were good for you, but that we tend to ignore.
2: That mom is always right, and I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, and or,
4: or as they say, an apple a day keeps the doctor away.
2: There you go.
1: <laughs> and what would you say, Dr. Stork, to a man who was diagnosed with prostate cancer? It seems to me that from listening to you, there's an awful lot of great options out there. Obviously, being diagnosed with prostate cancer is is scary for people, but it seems like if I was in your hands, it would make me feel a lot better.
4: Well, thank you for that. But the reality is that this is the best time in human history to have prostate cancer if you're diagnosed with it. The treatment options are extensive Um, A lot of times for these slower growing forms of prostate cancer, it's almost like a chronic disease now, like high blood pressure or diabetes. It's something that has to be monitored. It's something that sometimes we have to change the plan on. But, um, you know, if it's being followed correctly, it's not going to be a threat for your health. Obviously, there's other prostate cancers that require uh, more intense and immediate treatment.
1: Dr. Brian Stork, thank you so much for your time and this wonderful information today. We really appreciate it.
4: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
1: You are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show. We'll be back right after this. are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show. I'm Ann Thomas. I am here with my co host Dr. Carol Kowalczyk. And Dr. Carol, we now switch gears and check in with Tony Michaels, the President and CEO of the parade company. Tony, great to see you great to have you here.
5: Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
1: So let's talk about America's Thanksgiving Parade presented by Gardner White. Are you ready? Give us the details, Tony
5: oh boy yeah we are ready we really are but but there's always more to go right up until game time but uh this is going to be one of the largest crowds we believe that detroit has ever seen um you know there's pent up uh angst man to have the parade back on woodward avenue and we're so excited the team has just been working non-stop uh, along with our great partners sponsors and so many celebrities it's going to be a great show it really is
1: and, you know, Tony, I could tell that by the parade pancake breakfast that you did last week, there were a lot of people there and they were very excited and your sponsors are excited and they're involved and there's all these beautiful new floats. Tell us a little bit about this. It's really going to be fun.
5: Well, yeah, I, the, the, the pancake breakfast presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan was, was a great success. We had corporate leaders, civic leaders. The governor was here, uh, flipping pancakes. Calvin Johnson, our uh, one of our grand marshals, was here. Uh, Bishop uh, Edgar Van could not make it, but I know he called in to WJR. And Marla droots our honorary uh, uh, grand marshal, was here. Uh, just so much happening, so many things. And we have new floats uh, this year. We have a brand new float from General Motors. Uh, which is so exciting, everyone in. uh, And um, Delta Dental with a brand new float, Henry Ford Health Systems with a brand new float. And we welcome Central Michigan University for the first time in America's Thanksgiving Parade with a float Uh, and the Skillman Foundation and uh, their brand new CEO, Angelique Power. Um, So she's excited and so many more things uh, with great people. And we're opening the parade this year with uh, uh, Circle of Life and the Lion King. The Detroit Youth Choir will be backing up a Broadway Performer. Uh, and it's brought to you by Broadway in Detroit. And we're so thankful to them for helping us out. So what an opening of the, of the parade this year. And what a great year to be back and to be on Woodward Avenue again in front of what's predicted to be well over a million people over three miles.
1: That's incredible. And you know, we're outside, Tony. So it's an extremely safe event for families to get out there and again enjoy this. Talk a little bit about that and how important it is for people to know that it, it's safe to be out there, safe to go outside.
5: Yeah, when you look at all of the big events around the country right now, whether it's football and outdoor concerts and things, I mean they're, they're happening. And um, but yeah, we've also, as we do with all of our events, we've taken certain protocols. Uh, our volunteers will arrive in a staggered um uh, time frame. We will not be doing a uh, uh, costuming in one big massive room things like that. So we're doing what we can, and we're, we're telling people look come enjoy it on woodward wear a mask if, if that's what you know you would like to do. Um, but take it in it's it's going to be very, very special, and it's really coming together uh, in a great way and bring Detroit together our region together and our state together. And also, again, we're going to be broadcast, of course, not only in Detroit uh, with the pre-show on WJR, uh, early in the morning with uh, Paul W interviewing a lot of our big sponsors and civic leaders, but also WDIV will be broadcasting on television, uh, beginning uh, really all morning long, and then from 10 to noon is the parade. But it's also going to be broadcast in 185 cities across America which is putting Detroit on a huge, huge stage uh, for this grand, grand event.
1: And, you know, a lot of work goes into this parade, Tony. I mean, you basically, as soon as that parade is finished, you start working again. You spend all year long getting this parade together, getting the sponsors together, adding more people. Talk a little bit about what you do.
5: Well, we really do. And then you have to remember, we not only do this, but we put on the Ford Fireworks. The S3 Turkey Trot, which is Thanksgiving morning. And yes, you can enter right up until the day of the run, and we urge you to. It's the best fun run in the state. Um, we do hop novel gobble presented by Ford, but we have to start on the parade immediately um, because there are so many moving parts to the parade. Uh it's 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 a long list, and it it really is long. Um, but everything from sponsors, new floats, we think in 22. We could have upwards of eight new floats they're all three-year contracts but we could have eight new floats versus five this year and of course it's how the contracts fall and it's how new companies come along and want to be in it so uh there's a lot happening and we're just so thankful we are so thankful for not only Garga white our presenting sponsor and ford our Ford fireworks sponsor and cindy paskey and s3 and so on but all of the other great great companies who do so many things with us from lacrosse blue shield of michigan to huntington bank to dte uh the list goes on and i'm going to get in trouble because i'm not going to name them all but it is it is amazing it is just amazing
1: tony is there anything else you want our listeners to know for the big day can they watch it just about any place along the route do you have any tips for them
5: uh i would come early dress warm bring the blankets the little chairs uh we have a few grandstand seats still available, but not many. We try not to put too many grandstands on Woodward, but uh, come early, take it all in, stay till the end, because uh, you know we heard that Santa's coming to town again. Um, you know It's a big moment, and there's so many great things through this parade. I think people are gonna be blown away with these floats and blown away with the, the bands and just everything that is gonna be so, so great on Thanksgiving morning. And, and wave to Calvin Johnson and Bishop Edgar Van and Marla Treats that morning, because really special people doing something really special for Detroit.
2: And I got to tell you, you start our Thanksgiving. I wake up like a little kid, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but it's been a lot of years. And I have my, my hot coffee, I turn you on, the guys go to Hopeless, see the Lions win, let's hope they get one. Um, and and then, you know, when Santa comes down, I cry. And, I, you know, my kids are, you know, 20-somethings, I drag them out of bed, I'm like, this is Thanksgiving, this is our parade, and you just make everyone's world. So, um, you mean a lot to so many people by all the great things you do.
5: Well, thank you. We have a great team here at the Parade Company and uh, we're just proud to be able to do this for so many. we We view this as a city product and we have to make it bigger and better for everybody.
1: Tony Michaels, President and CEO of the Parade Company, thank you for your time. Have a great
5: parade. Thank you so much and enjoy every minute.
1: You are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show. We'll be back right after this. Well, as we close out this edition of the Healthy Woman Show, we go from enjoying America's Thanksgiving Parade, presented by Gardner White, to talking about Thanksgiving dinner. And the perfect person is here to do that. Luciano Del Signore, the owner of Baco, Big Allura, Casa Pernoy, and Arbor Brewing in Plymouth and Ypsilanti. Luciano, thank you for joining us.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: We need a little help here. Could you tell us how to cook the perfect Thanksgiving dinner, Luciano?
0: I think the most important thing is just plan ahead. About a week out, I like to do my kitchen reorganizing and deep cleaning and make sure that it's ready to go. Then two days prior, and then of course, plan your menu. Make sure you've got a list of all the ingredients you need and you get everything shopped out and you, you know, and source a great turkey. And then two days prior to Thanksgiving, I like to brine my turkey for twenty four hours and man set the table and get that out of the way. And then the day before, you can just uh, finish uh, stuffing your turkey and seasoning it and getting it wrapped in the fridge and ready for the oven and pre cooking a bunch of your sides like cranberries and stuffing and and peeling and cutting your potatoes.
2: And what? We all hear about the not poison control center and having undercooked, overcooked turkey. So a lot of people fear for the undercooked turkey and the problems with that. Um, I've been guilty of overcooking because I was worried about that. How do you really know that your turkey is done and it's going to be that nice, juicy, not too dry where I need six pounds of gravy?
0: So... The rule of thumb for turkey is, um, first of all, you want to cook it covered. So you want to season the bird get it in a roasting pan. If you're going to make a gravy out of the drippings, you want to have some mirepoix onions, carrots, celery, fresh bay leaves, and maybe a little bit of chicken broth at the bottom of the pan. Okay, Cover it well. We like to start it at 450 to sear the bird first for about a half hour, and then lower it to 350. And you usually judge about 20 minutes per pound based on how big your bird is. But the way to make sure your bird is checked perfectly is to have a good thermometer kit, uh, a good thermometer in your kitchen and check the center uh, breast temperature at 160 degrees. That's that's the key. And, and how do you yes, brine the say that again.
1: How do, you, how do you brine the turkey? Sometimes you hear some people who say, go ahead and brine the turkey. Some people say, yeah. no, I'm going to listen to you.
0: Well, brining is very important for basically you're trying to salt the bird to the core. And a brine can be a multitude of things. But basically, a brine is a salt, uh, salt and water, like a cup of salt to three gallons of water. Sometimes people like to put a little sugar in their brine. I don't. Um, you can put some aromatics in your brine, like juniper berries, fresh rosemary, some bay leaves. But those are secondary flavors. The most important thing is you're trying to salt the bird at the center and into the meat so that it's not bland when you roast into it it. and it helps to keep it juicy and moist.
2: Awesome. All right. I have a question. Yes. What is your what when at the Thanksgiving table? All right. What is the thing you cannot wait to indulge in? uh, And what is the thing that you pass to the next guy saying, nope, that ain't happening. I'm not eating that.
0: Uh, (laughs) The thing I can't wait. I make my father's sausage stuffing recipe and the combination of that sausage and sage with um i love cranberries once a year i make both relish and cooked and i just love the combination of the cranberries uh the sweet and the savory from the sausage and the stuffing and the thing that i could probably just pass on is the sweet potato pie it's just got way too much sugar for my diet and and the marshmallows do nothing for me i love
1: it how about you ann i agree with luciana it's the stuffing and then i would absolutely pass on the sweet potatoes okay. What about
2: you, oh my my mother's homemade stuffing uh by hands down everyone has the uh, to the last spoonful and yeah. i am not a cranberry girl i will pass mm-hmm. that jelly thing up and even the relish i um no no that's not my tea <laughs>
0: Well, it's a it's a unanimous stuffing thing from our
1: parents.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Thank
1: you so much for your time today. We appreciate. It. We hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your beautiful family.
0: Thank you so much, and I wish you both a wonderful Thanksgiving and um, and a happy holiday season. You too. Thank Take you. care. Bye bye.
1: You've been listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show brought to you by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. On behalf of Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, I'm Ann Thomas, and we hope you
0: have a great night. The Healthy Woman Show with Ann Thomas and Dr. Carol Kowalczyk has been presented by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health.